Our text this morning comes from Revelation chapter 18, beginning at verse 1 and for our introductory verses 1 through 3. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lighted with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon is fallen, Babylon the great is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. In our study of last time of chapter 7 in the book of Revelation, we saw the judgment of Babylon in its false religion. There are three aspects that Babylon is going to have power in that is going to be politically religiously and economically. And so we saw the the religious falling of the apostate church called in our text last week the great whore. We saw that occur. And now in chapter 18, we're going to continue to see judgment upon Babylon. The prophecy that we deal with here features the economic collapse during the tribulation. I started to say we were in an election cycle, but it seems that we're always in an election cycle here in the United States. They better get through being elected till they start campaigning for the next term. But we have that election coming up in November, and while there are many issues that are being debated it seems that the economy is, as it always has been, the primary focus for the, uh, at least the people, the citizens of our country, as they look toward electing new, new leaders. And so economy is going to be the primary focus, no matter about the abortion issue and the other issues that they are trying to beat, it seems like the economy is the key factor. And so it would follow suit that with God's judgment upon the earth, not only does He judge false religion, but there is a judgment coming to economy, to the economic structure and situation of our world. It was just a short time ago that we saw the merchants uh, were complaining about their inability to get products to put on their shelves. Their shelves, they were saying, were empty. And they were uh, trying to get the political machine to move forward to stop the blockade of ships that were out in the harbor. They were blockaded because there was nobody to unload them. And uh, so the various ports were loaded with ships 
and the merchants were crying out for help. But now, those same merchants that were crying out in despair because they couldn't get product because of the chain, the supply chain being broken, now they are canceling billions and billions of dollars of orders and that as we are going into the holiday season. We find uh, that John David Rain, Walmart's CFO, said that Walmart had cleared most of the summer inventory and that it was reducing exposure now in electronics, home and sporting goods, and that they had canceled billions of dollars in orders to realign inventory. I've scarcely been in Walmart looking for a product that appeared they needed to realign their inventory. As a matter of fact, I was bold enough to say to the gal that heads up the personnel department of the one here in uh, Hayden, you need to hire me for inventory control. And if you don't want to hire me, you need to hire someone for inventory control because you are not maintaining inventory. Now they are deliberately canceling billions and billions, according to the CFO, billions and billions of dollars of orders for the coming holidays. Target has canceled $1.5 billion in orders that they had already placed. They are now canceling those. Kohl's has canceled a large number of orders as well, and their CFO in a call to investors said, we have taken action to address inventory, including increasing promotions, being aggressive on clearing excessive inventory, and we're pulling back on receipts. So as I read through those things this week, I wondered, do they know something we don't know about the economic situation that we're about to face? The stage is being set for those events that are described to us in the book of Revelation, chapter 18, that speaks and prophesies of the economic collapse, not only in America, but around the world. The rapture of the church will certainly trigger the events that will lead to the total economic collapse in the tribulation. There's going to be a period in which the economy is going to move forward and there is going to be a great riches attained by the chosen few, but then it breaks down. And as the seven-year period ends, uh, there is economic collapse worldwide. The announcement of that impending judgment is given to us in Revelation chapter 18, what we read as our text this morning, verses 1 through 3. I'll read it again. 
And after these things, John said, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So once again, John describes an event that he is observing. This is the Apostle John receiving the revelation, which is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ concerning the future. John sees another mighty angel and one with great power. As a matter of fact, the glory of this angel is so bright that the entire earth is lighted by that glory. The angel proclaims then the falling of Babylon. All of Babylon is now called to judgment. Religious Babylon has fallen, and now economic Babylon is falling, and her abominations have become full, and now she is experiencing the end of God's patience and the wrath of God. I would remind you Babylon is representative then of Rome, and that is going to be the seat of the revived Roman Empire as we read it in the Old Testament and in the Revelation as well, and harmonize that with the things that Jesus Christ himself spoke while he was here upon the earth. In Revelation chapter 18, that Babylon has now become a habitation of devils. The word devils is incorrect. It should be demons. As a matter of fact, is daimonian, from which we get the word demon, by bringing it into English. And the habitation identifies the dwelling place. And that this Babylon, this revived Roman Empire, headquartered in Rome, had become the hold of every foul spirit. The word hold literally means a guarded prison. Economic Babylon has become a guarded prison for every foul spirit. The word foul is translated from the Greek word akra, thartos, and it means unclean. As a matter of fact, uh, it's a word that refers to that which under the Mosaic law was declared ceremonially unclean. Uh, if you read down through the Old Testament and the Levitical law, you see that some animals are declared to be clean to Israel and others to be unclean. Some fowl were declared to be clean and others were unclean. And uh, all of that ceremonial law, we, we emphasize ceremonial, had to do with teaching and instructing concerning God's standard and man's obedience or disobedience to those standards. So, Babylon, this 
economic center of the world during that seven-year tribulation period has reached an end. It has become the guarded prison of every unclean fowl and a cage for every unclean and hateful bird. In several of the parables that Jesus taught, He spoke about birds uh, in a symbolic reference to Satan and to the satanic host. In Matthew 13, 4 and 19, in Mark 4, 15, in Luke 8, 12, He speaks of them taking away the seed of the sower. When the sower went forth to sow the seed of the gospel, as He explains it, then these fowl came and took the seed away. We find uh, then that in Revelation he is referring to every unclean and hateful bird. These are the birds of prey and the vultures. And he says Babylon has become a cage for them. Now back in the previous statement, a hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. The word hold And the word cage are exactly the same word in the Greek text. I guess sometimes the translators just like a little variety. And it's amazing how many times in your uh, English translation, they translate the same word in the same verse with a different word in English. Well, it was to avoid redundancy. Well, God's not redundant. (laughs) And we need to hear what He's saying. So we said the word hold meant a guarded prison. The word cage is that same word, and it means a guarded prison. So the birds of prey and the vultures find a guarded prison in this revived Roman Empire, Babylon, with its power and its corruption And they were controlling, they will be controlling the commerce of the world until this judgment falls upon them. In verse 3, we see the influence of uh, this religious and economic and political system of how it had advanced. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Now remember the people of the earth have been taken in in this setting by the great deceiver. They marveled at his miraculous power. He's able to call fire down from heaven. He has been able to do many of those things that are acquainted with the prophets of God uh, as a false presentation. And the world has been taken in by him at this point. This is right toward the end of the seven years. And uh, they have even worshipped him. And they've been under his influence to the extent that they're described here as being drunk under the influence, if you will, of that dictator. In verses 4 through 8, then, we have a call to God's people for separation. John says, I heard another voice from heaven. 
saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her as she rewarded you, and double unto her double according to her works, in the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she hath in her heart, saith in her heart, I am a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day and the morning and the famine and she shall utterly be burned with fire for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. In this text then, God's people are called to separation. In that statement in verse 4, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Remember, the church is in heaven when this occurs. Remember that this seven-year period is the last seven years of the dispensation of Israel, the administration to be governed by Israel. God had promised them, remember, uh, during Daniel's captivity, God revealed that the Jews were going back to the land and they were going to have another 490 years to finish uh, the preparation for the coming of the Messiah and that during that period of time, they would actually kill the Messiah And that period of 490 years that Daniel revealed was broken down into three periods of time. The first period of time being a total of 49 years in which there was going to be trouble. And it would be difficult that they would, with difficulty that they would rebuild, uh, the city of Jerusalem, their homes, the walls, the temple, and get that back. And that came, that prophecy came exactly true to the day as we find the end of the 49th year and the moving into the 50th year, which is the year of Jubilee to celebrate and return all the property back to their original owner ever 50 years. That's the day on which the restoration was complete and the 49 years were complete. But then Daniel said, when 483 years have completed, you will killed the Messiah. And 483 years from the signing of that decree for them to go back to rebuild the city, 483 years to the day they crucified Christ, the Messiah. And then there was to be a final seven years. They didn't have any prophecy about the church. The church was a mystery. It was not known in Old Testament age. And so We are in that church age right now, but God still owes Israel seven years. So when our work is done as the church, He comes to receive us as His bride and take us to heaven. And we have examined then the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage of the church to the Lamb. And 
all that goes on in heaven during that period of time while that tribulation under Jewish administration is continuing here upon the earth. Those seven years that God owes Israel are going to be given at that point. So when he says, come out of her, my people, he's not talking about the church. If we're not careful and don't interpret Scripture rightly dividing it, then we might apply this to the church. There may be a principle there, but it's applicable to the Jews. They're told to come out of her and not be partakers of her sin. This is Israel, and these would be those who then have responded to the gospel message. God has always called His people to separate themselves with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 verse 1, the Lord had said to Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. We have an example of Lot in chapter 19 of Genesis. And the men said unto Lot, hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and the daughters whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Get up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city, because... He seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. So we know they didn't get out. We have an example with Moses in the book of Numbers. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dotham, and Abriam. Moses rose up and went unto Dotham and Abriam, And the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed with their sins. We have an example of the call to get out and to separate with Isaiah in chapter 48, verse 20. Go ye forth of Babylon. Flee ye from the Chaldeans with a voice of singing. Declare ye, tell this, uh, utter it even to the end of the earth. Say ye, the Lord hath redeemed his servant Jacob. We have an example given in Jeremiah's prophecy. Remove out of the midst of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as the goats before the flocks. An example further in Jeremiah. Flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity. For this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He will render unto her a recompense. Babylon hath been a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunken. The nations have drunken of her wine. Therefore, The nations are mad. Babylon is suddenly fallen and destroyed. Howl for her. Take balm for her pain. If so be that she may be healed. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her. 
and let us go every one into his own country, for her judgment reacheth unto heaven and is lifted up even to the skies. Another example with Israel by the way of Jeremiah, my people go ye out of the midst of her and deliver every man his soul from the fierce anger of the Lord. Yet another call to separation among the Christians. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Yet another example, as Paul writes to Timothy, Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partakers of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Further concerning God's people that John speaks of, uh, or Christ speaks of in the Gospel of John. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. Because they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is true. So we who make up the church are sojourners. We're not of this world, but we're in the world to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. There is coming the time of our departure with the rapture, and that puts then the seven years of the Jewish administration in uh, in action. And now, as Babylon is being judged, those Jews that live there are instructed, come out from her. In verse 5 of Revelation 18, we have some note concerning the degree of the sin of Babylon. It says, For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquity. A little play on words, it seems to me, because you remember at the onset and the founding, the establishment of Babylon uh following uh, the Noahic flood, they said, let us build us a tower whose top will reach heaven. Well, their tower never got to the point that it reached heaven, but their sins did. And now it is time for judgment. In chapter 18, beginning at verse 6, reward her even as she rewarded you and double her double according to her works, in the cup which she hath filled, fill to her double. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen, and have no widow, and shall see no sorrow. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. The economy of the world and its great commercial enterprises are all destined to fall in one day. Well, as a matter of fact, 
in one hour, according to the 18th chapter of Revelation, verses 10, 17, and 19. Throughout that tribulational period, we've looked at disasters that are going to strike the earth as God evangelizes through catastrophic natural disasters and then political and religious uh, uh, and economic disasters. This chapter deals with then that economic disaster and the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail and lament her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Standing afar off for the fear of judgment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thyme wood and all manner of vessels of ivory and all manner of vessels of precious wood and of brass and of iron and of marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beast and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men and the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee and thou shalt find them no more. The merchants of these things, which were made rich by her, shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour so great riches has come to naught, and every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off. And they cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust upon their heads and cried, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reasons of her costliness. For in one hour she is made desolate. And we don't have time in this study to examine all the details here. There's a lot of details. But look at the effect and the despair. The entire population of the earth is going to be affected by that economic collapse. The kings of the earth. The kings of the earth were mentioned as have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her. They will bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Standing afar off for the fear of torment say. Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Not only the political leaders, but the merchants as well. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise any more. 
the merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and of fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thyme wood and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil, fine flour and wheat and beast and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves uh, and souls of men and the fruits uh, that they lusted after are departed from thee and all the things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of those things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls as we read earlier in our study a couple of weeks ago, for in one hour, the riches are come to nothing. Even the shipping is mentioned in this lament. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off. And they cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, for in one hour she is made desolate. Well, this is a prelude to rejoicing then in heaven. In verse 20, Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged her. But then back in Revelation chapter 6, when he had opened the fifth seal, John said, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain by the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. The apostles represent the church. The prophets represent Israel. Both have been persecuted by this Babylon and uh, rejoice in God's final judgment. And then in verse 21, John said, And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. The Gentiles use millstones as a means of execution. Jesus spoke of that very example in Matthew 18.6 when he said, Whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he was drowned in the depth of the sea. 
the millstone or those great stones that they used in grinding mills to grind the corn and the wheat. The light of a candle shall shine no more in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more in thee. No more music. The voice of harpers and musicians and pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. Neither will there be any craftsman. No craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. No more grinding grain and the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And no more marriage, the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. Jeremiah prophesied these in his prophecy of no mores. Back in chapter 25 of Jeremiah, beginning at verse 9, he writes, Behold, I will send and take all the famines of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing and a perpetual desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstone and the light of the candle. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. That was the initial judgment physically in the Babylonian captivity. And now it's going to be revisited upon the earth. Payday is coming. And it's coming for those who will reap the wages of sin, which the scripture identifies as death. To borrow a phrase from Daniel, the handwriting is on the wall for the unbeliever. Many, many tekel afarjan. Translated, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. That was the first Babylon. And now as Christians, we live in the Laodicean period of the church age. And our role is as a sojourner, a foreigner not living in our own country, but living alongside the locals uh, to do business for our king. Our individual and specific business is identified by our personal spiritual gifting and uh, dictated by the circumstances that God brings and allows in our lives every day. My role as a pastor teacher with the gift of teaching that's supported by the gift of word of knowledge, word of wisdom, exhortation, and administration, my role is to equip you so you can do your work of ministry. Again, your ministry is defined by your gifting and 
dictated by your circumstances. God's mindful of every circumstance we encounter. And we sometimes ask him, are you there? Are you paying attention to what's going on? And he's saying, yes, grasshopper, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Are you paying attention? I am giving you appointments for your ministry and for your work. Your gifting is at least one of this list of nine gifts that are operative through the church age. Administration, teaching, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, service, mercy, helps, or giving. You have at least one of those gifts. God Himself manipulates your circumstances in order that He might bring you into contact with the locals in this kingdom that we might represent Christ through our unique gifting in ministry. First of all, we are to model the Christian life and we model it by applying the principles that are taught in His Word. Biblical basics for believers. The basic doctrines for the church. The spiritual gifts provide then an effective ministry through evangelism, teaching, and service. All the spiritual gifts can be placed and shuttled in one of those three areas of ministry. So God is at work in our life setting up divine appointments for us, equipping us supernaturally, spiritually, with the ability to deal with the circumstance and to minister on His behalf. We need to develop the basics, that is, spirituality by learning to be controlled by the Holy Spirit on a day-by-day basis. Maybe I should say on an hour-to-hour basis. We need to learn the Word of God and make the application so that we experience spiritual growth. And we develop spiritual maturity. We need to learn to lean on Him and adopt the principles of the faith rest technique, knowing that He is causing all things to work together for our good to rest in faith in the midst of adversity. And we need to be faithful stewards to our gifting and our circumstances day by day. So what's your calendar? I speak of your calendar of circumstances because those are divine appointments that God arranges. Perhaps this week, perhaps next week, but certainly continually in our walk here as sojourners, He is setting up appointments 
for us to minister, whether it be through service, whether it be through teaching, whether it be through exhortation, whether it's simply modeling for them the principles and sharing with them the source, which is Jesus Christ. But of course, it all begins at salvation. And according to my granddaughter's conversation with her daughter, <laughs> means, are you willing to listen to God and do what God wants? The plan of salvation is one of surrender, not of works. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I close with the thought that comes from Psalm 107, verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so.